Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. You can have a seat and a special welcome to you if you trickled in just a little bit later. I want to say a special welcome. My name is uh, Dom. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Pastor Michael, we, we just considered a joy to, to teach, to lead, to encourage you. Uh, you know, uh, we were joking around about like a soccer game and people being busy, you know. Uh, but we realized, you know, it's not 10 o'clock in the morning everywhere in the world, right? So uh, it's just, it's a great time for us to prioritize certain things. And for us, one of the things we've, we've tried to do is to prioritize this season that we've called Advent. It's kind of a time of preparation. Some of you may be tired of hearing that. How many of you just tired? We know, we're preparing, we know, we know. And some of you, you hear that and you're like, but I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. People are coming over. You feel the anxiety, right? You're torn. But I, I want to just, just tell you a story that made me think about preparation this year in a different way. And it's a little secret about me. Some of you don't know this about me, but I used to be, you ready for this? Promise not to laugh. No laughing or judging. I used to be a famous drummer. What, what's going on? No laughing. Okay, maybe not famous like capital F, but small f. Okay, maybe not even famous at all. I used to be a good drummer. That I, <laughs> some of you get that? And actually, I used to play drums so much that I would travel and play. Actually, some of you know this. Uh, my wife, when she met me, I was playing drums. That's when she fell in love with me, I think. She's like, my husband's going to be a rock star. And, she, and then I became a pastor, so our marriage has been downhill ever since. So... Uh, I'm kidding. Some of you just woke up. You're like, I like it. We can laugh at this church. Yes. So I used to play, and I used to travel at different churches, and I would play at conferences and conventions, and I would, I would play. And I remember one time I was playing with a group of people from a, a school I was at, and we were traveling. And when we traveled sometimes, we were billeted, like we stayed with families from the church, which was always so encouraging if you've ever experienced that. People were like, our home is your home come in, we love you, we're going to feed you, and it was always great, right? But every so often, we would fill out a form that said some, like if you had allergies, or you had a problem, and I would always put, like, I'm allergic to cats. And so I remember one day, we got to this family's house, and, you know, they're like, we're so happy you're here, we can't wait for your team to play at our church and encourage us, and as soon as I got in the house, I knew they did not prepare for me. I knew right away, and I have a picture, and this is what I think of when I think of that moment. I think of, like, going into a room and just... I said to them, I said, do you have pets here? The lady's like, no, no, I'm like, well, you know, we sometimes, but not really, and we used to have a cat, but the cat, I'm like, are you sure? Because I feel like my throat, like, starting to do that weird, like, <laughs> you know, like, there's a, there's a cat somewhere in this building. And I was, like, getting really allergic. And then she's like, yeah, but, like, he's not really around all the time. I'm like, you know, we sent a form in advance for you to prepare for our team to come, and I could feel that you didn't really do that. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, we know. And so it, it kind of, I made a joke of it even though I was dying inside and I felt like oh, I'm not going to be able to breathe, right? And then I went downstairs where I was supposed to sleep and I got the pillow and the pillow was full of cat hair. 
And I was, some of you hate cats too? Yeah. How many of you hate dogs too? Yeah? We're that kind of church. Amen. <laughs> some people are so mad. It's great. Forgiveness series coming in the new year. It's going to be good. So I remember that moment just feeling they did nothing to prepare to receive us. And I just had a moment where I thought it was funny. We joked around. The lady apologized. It was really, really funny. But I thought at this season, God says to us, it won't be funny if you don't prepare for my coming. It won't be funny if you think you could just kind of move into Christmas and just be like, let's sing some nice songs and pretend like we're friends. Let's do that. Let's just enjoy like an extra few days off from work and it'll be all fine. Actually, the season of Advent is that moment where we slow down to prepare in a special way because we want to be ready for what God's going to do. And we actually called the series All is Bright. Now, I don't know if this happened to you. All is Bright doesn't mean all is right, okay? We know that it's almost crazy to think that things are all bright because we feel our world is very broken. We feel the things in our world just a mess. I mean, I know this and you know this. Like, it doesn't take long for you to either hear some news, get an update of what's happening in the world, and hear all kinds of negative things happening. It's almost like a joke to say, but we're going to believe that because Jesus is at work, all is brighter than it seems now. And that's really what Advent is meant to do. It's to prepare us. And this year, something happened in my life that maybe will help you. This year, as I was preparing, I didn't just think about expecting what God's going to do and get excited about the new things that are coming, because I love to do that. I tend to be a forward thinker that way. One of the things I did in part of my kind of quiet time is I wrote down some of the things this year that made me lose my joy, lose my patience, lose my hope in my own life. Sometimes Advent is that time where we pay attention to the things that make us lose our hope in God that make us lose a sense of joy in what God's doing? What kinds of things make you lose your sense of hope in God? What kinds of things happen that make you doubt God's goodness? What kinds of things have taken place in your life that have made you wonder if you could really be joyful? I've talked to some people in our church who've lost loved ones this year. The holidays and this time will not be the same. There's a loss of just relationship. There's a loss of commitment. There's all kinds of losses that happen. And Advent is is that moment where God says, pay attention to that. Pay attention how, how I will come and restore some of the painful loss. Pay attention to how I will come and help you see that I was at work even when you felt that I wasn't there. Pay attention. Advent is that time. And the most important word you'll hear at Advent all the time is the word waiting. Okay? I don't know if you've thought about this, and waiting is this big kind of word. And this morning as we kind of wrap up, this is the last Sunday of Advent because next Sunday is Christmas. So this is kind of the last time we talk about this. I want to tell you about a type of waiting that is so easy to miss in the Bible. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. It might help you. I was going to say if you're in home groups, but they've wrapped up, right? Uh, But I want you to just think of two kinds of waitings, and one is one that we really know well, and one is one that we often forget. And you'll see it on the slide here. At Advent, we we are invited by the Bible to think of two kinds of waitings. There's the kind of waiting that has to do with impatience. And we all know this waiting. You've often felt this. You're like, you're waiting, you're impatient, and somebody will say to you, you know what, God is in control, right? Or you'll hear something really, really cheesy, and I've heard this my whole life in church. You know this. It's like, God's never late. His timing is always right. You ever hear that? Oh, my goodness, throw up in my mouth. Okay. It's so corny, but when you're struggling, you don't want to hear someone tell you like a little churchy line, God, I'm like, get out of here on the troll. Everything's falling apart. I'm going to lose it. But we have all these funny little things that we love to tell ourselves because we're impatient. And you know what? When you think about waiting when you're impatient, you don't even have to be a Christian to learn that. 
Anybody has to learn that. You could be an atheist and you're in traffic and you're like, I don't believe in God, but I have to learn to wait because it's a good value in society. It's going to teach my kids to just be patient. You know, all that. But the Bible doesn't leave us with just that kind of waiting. The Bible pushes us into a different kind of waiting. And actually, all of the prophets expect us to see that there's a kind of waiting that's unacceptable when it leads to injustice. There's a kind of waiting that should be unacceptable for anything, for anyone to experience. And actually, I made a list of some of the things that I wanted us to feel that has to do with how waiting leads or points to injustice. Here's a list of some of the things I wrote down, and you can have your own list. You can go to the slide. A long wait for a spot in a homeless shelter. You feel like, well, why is there someone who's waiting a long time to get a, a place in a homeless shelter? Ignored calls of a single parent waiting for support. Why is that happening? In this world with wealth and so many systems, why is that going on? Why is there that kind of waiting? The broken systems that cause waiting for a job, a warm meal, a bank loan, on and on and on. An innocent prisoner in jail. I just saw something recently. I thought about this in jail. Waiting for someone to review their file. And after 35 years, they find out, sorry, we made a mistake. Well, you were innocent. Waiting every day. Is, is a lawyer going to look at my file? This is the kind of waiting that the Bible talks about. That's the kind of waiting that should feel unacceptable to us. It's the kind of waiting that reminds us that the Bible, as they wait for the Messiah to come, they're waiting for him to come because there's systems of injustice that have crushed people for years. And the prophets write about this. The prophets write about wealthy followers of God who are wealthy with their houses and they see poor people and you know what they say to them? I'll pray for you. Ever do that? It's so easy to pray for something that you're never willing to help fix. It's so easy to pray for our finances and never commit to giving. And God says through the prophet, stop praying. Stop pretending like you care. This waiting is unacceptable. And God says, I see it, and I'm coming now. And as I read this this week, I thought, you know, it's so easy to ignore this waiting. You know why? Because no one gets up and decides, today, we're going to be part of a world that's unjust. Nobody does that. Like, I'm not raising my kids, and you're not raising your kids, and we're not teaching them lessons about how to be raised and hope the systems break down or poor people are taken advantage of or people who are immigrants or refugees or struggling, that they're like shunned in certain ways. Like nobody does that on purpose, but it happens over time. It happens over time because we decide we shouldn't have to wait, somebody else should. You know who never waits? Rich people. Have you ever been, you ever see a show or somebody, you go to a club, a restaurant, somewhere in our society, and there's a lineup of people with security guards? You know, you see that in the movies, right? Who never waits? The people who show up at the car, the door opens and they walk in front of the line. You're like, what just happened right now? Everybody knows in that moment why those people didn't wait. Because they're rich. Because they're connected. Because they know somebody. And it's almost a sign of like privilege to be like, we don't wait. Other people wait. Over time, the Bible tells us that this view of life starts to create a type of injustice where then the poor and those marginalized and those who have less and those who don't have connections, they wait. And God says, I see their waiting. I see the pain of their waiting. I see that you don't care that they're waiting because all that matters is your life and your kids and your family to go first. That's all that matters. I had this weird experience with this, like it happened over the summer, and I, I remember I was with my son, and we were at a grocery store 
unnamed grocery store we were waiting, and we're waiting in line, and how many like you, you know, now they have the check-in things, you do it yourself, and I kind of don't always like them, so I'm like in line waiting, and so I'm just waiting in this line, and there's probably about like roughly like six, seven people in front of us, like the line, so I'm like, I only have two things, three things, so I go, I'm with my son, we're like rushed, right, and as I'm waiting, I see kind of in front of us, maybe the second person before the cash, He's like a mom with a baby, a lot of diapers, holding, and I'm kind of starting to feel bad. I'm thinking, like, I remember those days. This is madness. You know, and I'm thinking, maybe I'll leave my son here, and I'll save him, and I'm going to go and see if I can help the mom, like, she needs anything, right? And out of the blue, this other man with a child gets in front of the lady and just gets in and gets in line. No, I turn into a dragon. I'm like, today, Pastor Dom is going to jail. That's all that went through my mind. And my son is with me, and I'm like, did you just see that? And they're like, yeah. And they almost look at me like, Dad, don't say anything. Dad, don't say anything. I'm like, no, 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 monsieur. monsieur. So I honestly, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's all I said in, in the grocery store. I really I'm sorry in advance. I apologize on the pastor. I, it was unacceptable. But I started yelling. And I'm like, hey, you didn't see the lady. Like with the kid. Like, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You got a line. And the man started yelling at me. He started like, relax, you're overreacting. I'm like, overreacting. And it was a joke, and at the end, you know, kids, eh, monsieur, I'll buy you a chocolate, whatever. I'm like, I'll hit you in my car. Okay, so, what? just me? It's just me? Okay, all of you are all holy. Okay, get out of here. Real pastor, real, right? But I thought, that bothered me, and it was a joke. And then you read the prophets. And God's like, multiply that by a thousand. And the people who have to wait to be cared for, to be loved, to be heard because of injustice, because of poverty, because of things that you've taken advantage of. You have to know this to understand Christmas. You have to know this. You need to feel this in order to be ready and to prepare for a time where God says to me and you, hey, are you maybe someone who easily ignores someone who's struggling? You find it easy to just care about your needs and your family and your kids and your grandchildren first and ignore someone else who's not connected, who doesn't know someone, who doesn't have the resources. Are you prone to do that? Now you better prepare yourself because the one who's coming is going to start to care for those who've been waiting a long time. And if you want to understand the last Sunday of Advent, remember this, that their waiting is about to come to an end. Can you imagine people who hear there's no more waiting? That person in jail waiting 40 years to hear, hey, a lawyer took your, 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 your file and you're free to go. What are you talking about I'm free to go? Like, you need to feel that the waiting is about to end now as we get closer to Christmas. The Bible actually invites us into people's lives in the Bible who have been waiting for God to do something in their lives. They've been praying They've been waiting. They've been asking God. And they feel the injustice. They feel the, the judgmentalism, the social structures that are broken. They feel this. And one of the, the people I want to just emphasize this morning, I want you to kind of see in a new way, is her name is Elizabeth. Some of you maybe know this. But Elizabeth is one of the first people to realize that God is not going to make her wait anymore. Elizabeth and Zechariah are John the Baptist's parents. And if you don't know much about them, they're like very, very old in the Christmas story. It actually usually throws people off to learn about them because they actually are the beginning of Christmas. You kind of have to go through them to get to Jesus. 
And, and if you've read the little ebook I provided or if you've been with us, you know, like, we've talked a little bit about Elizabeth and, uh, and Zechariah. And I want to spend some time and just remind you of what it would have been like for them to wait for so many years for God to answer their prayers. And you know what their prayer is? We'd love to have a child. Have you ever been with somebody who wants to have a child and they just can't? It's so hard. As a pastor, I've sat with so many couples even Mother's Day or Father's Day is so painful because they prayed to have children and they just couldn't. And in our culture, we're like, you know, it's unfortunate, whatever. But in the Bible times, to not to be able to have a child is bigger than just sorry. It's kind of a social structure and maybe people feel like God's cursed them and maybe there's something wrong with their bodies and all of these other things that at Christmas time, we're given kind of a little peek into the prayer that Elizabeth prays. And this is how Elizabeth kind of frames what she was feeling as she waited. This is what we're told. It says that the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She goes on to say this. Like for Elizabeth, her waiting equaled disgrace. Her waiting meant that for years she was seen as a lesser important woman. She didn't have a child. As you get older in the ancient world, if you don't have children, guess what happens? Nobody's taking care of you. There's a certain pressure, and Elizabeth says, my waiting is over. My waiting has come to an end. And that's really the preparation as we move closer and closer to Christmas, that the things that God has been saying through the prophets, through the angels, are starting to come true now. And if you, in your mind, you might know this, that Elizabeth is going to have John a few months before Jesus is born in the story. And we know that in the story, Elizabeth and Mary are also together, and they talk, and they connect, and they have a relationship, and they're maybe trying to encourage one another. They're maybe trying to tell each other, like, do you think God's really going to do this? Do you think our waiting is really done? Do you think it's true that God's heard our prayers? Well, it's really hard not to believe it when your body starts to change, right? And some of you need to know this. Zachariah, who's Elizabeth's husband, who I'm going to tell you about in a little bit, has been silenced. He's not able to speak for about nine months. And he, I think of him as being someone who's so committed to God's ways, but now he has to wait to be able to speak. That people are waiting and they're waiting and they're sensing that the injustice that we've carried is soon about to go away. It's soon about to be removed because the one that is coming, he's coming to correct those things. He's coming to make us a people that we would care when other people experience injustice. That it would matter to us like it matters to God. That Christmas is about us becoming those kinds of people. You never thought about this before. This is actually one of the names that's given to Jesus. Uh, like, it frames who Jesus is when you read the prophets from the beginning of the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah has one of the most beautiful passages that many of you will hear at Christmas. This is what he says. You can go back a slide, bud. This is what he says in, in his book. And Isaiah says this, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let me be honest with you. Like when I, early on when I was learning the Bible, this was so confusing to me. Because I'm like, Jesus is going to have like a government? Like when does he do that? Like does he get a palace? Anyone else confused? You, you, you read this, you're like, what does that even mean? The government is on his shoulders. I think Jesus comes to critique the government. So if you're taking notes, it's important. Isaiah wants us to understand that the one who's coming will govern the world by a different way. 
He will govern things based on paying attention to those who've been waiting. He will, he will look for ways that injustice has crushed those who are hurting. He will highlight in the midst of darkness those who are oppressive, those who don't care, those who prefer thinking about themselves first and not others. Let's be honest, right? That's all of us. That can happen to all of us. No one just wakes up and says, I can't wait to be part of injustice. Nobody does that. Okay, there are a few maybe. Okay, I'll give you a few people. Okay. But in general, in general, over time, as we become more important, other people become less important. And then we convince ourselves that God really is for us and not for them. And all of the leading up to Christmas is God saying, that's what you thought I was like? That's what you think I'm like? That I've blessed you so that you can be blessed so that your life can just be better and that we could ignore the injustice all around? That Elizabeth and Zechariah in this story, they are the first ones, they start to feel that the bubbling up of waiting is about to end. And she says that there's this disgrace that she's felt. Have you ever felt disgrace? Have you ever felt people look at you and almost kind of give you that look like, why, what are you doing here? You ever feel that? You're not welcome here. I know a lot of people, like, I invite them to church during this, and they're like, I'm not into church. And they usually have a story of maybe coming to church and not feeling welcome. Well, you're, you know, there's no room for you here. Not people who look like you. You're not dressed in the right way. You don't look the right way. Waiting causes all kinds of bitterness. The waiting causes all kinds of confusion. And we forget that as we move closer to Jesus being born, God's like, not anymore. They're not waiting anymore. I want to invite you this year to think about maybe in your life this season where God is maybe highlighting a moment, a person, a situation where God says he wants you to put yourself aside and start to care for them more. Not so that you would see yourself as being super special or super holy, but because you're seeing yourself as someone who does what Jesus is about to do for us. That he enters and he says, I'm going to be inconvenienced to care for how you've broken the world, how you've messed things up. And the first moment of the signs of God's faithfulness would have been Elizabeth's baby bump. Right? She's saw an angel, Zachariah and her, God said they spoke to them, and now for the first time her body's starting to respond to God's faithfulness. I can't imagine, the da- like to the dads, i just talk to the dads for a second, I think of Zachariah who can't speak and sees every few weeks his wife's belly getting just a bit bigger, and he's going like, I don't know what, he, I don't know what he's doing. When you think about it, what do you think he's doing? He's like, you know, it's kind of quiet in the house. Elizabeth probably loves it. Some of you women got it? No? All right. <laughs> Some of you are like, Elizabeth's praying like, nine more months wouldn't be bad, God. Just a bit more silence in the house. All right. <laughs> but we're told in the next part of the story, this is what we're told. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. They shared her joy. For sure, this is a moment where Mary and Joseph are like, this is really going to happen. You know, this often happens in our life. God gives us little glimpses of his faithfulness along the way. He gives us little moments where you're like, I don't know if it's true. And then something happens. You're like, wait a second, it is true. I think of moments in the life of our church where I struggled or I doubted and I wasn't sure and and I I, I was kind of wondering if God's really going to answer our prayers. And then without expectation and not really knowing what to even pray for, God did something, and other people shared in that. They're like, this is amazing. God's been faithful. And you know, a lot of times in our lives, when God blesses us in this way, it's so that we would help others when they find themselves in a difficult situation. 
You might not believe this, but you might be going through a difficult situation right now. And you don't understand yet how God's going to use that situation for you to bless someone else in a year from now or in two years from now. And all you're praying for is for that situation to end. And God's like, no, I'm doing something so much more beautiful now. I'm preparing you for something you can't see yet. I think about that in my life. I think about it in some of your lives. Some of you this year have asked for prayer and I've had the privilege of coming into your home and praying with you and talking about difficult things and asking God to heal a, a broken relationship related to finances or forgiveness. And I've tried to encourage you and to remind you, God's going to use this in a day where you don't see it yet, but he will. He's going to use this. That's what he's doing in the story right now. That for Elizabeth, now that the baby's born, there's great joy. How many of you think Mary's there? How many of you think Mary's around? And she's like, oh my goodness, if it's going to be like this for me, it's going to be amazing. Or she's like, I don't know, man. Joseph, I'm not sure. Like, I'm nervous. Because like, she's kind of getting ready too. Because in the next few, you know, months, for us it's like a week, but months, <laughs> you know, like Jesus is coming too. The waiting is over. And others are sharing in the joy of this moment. They're sharing in God's goodness to them. The waiting has now and her disgrace has moved away. But we're not ready for what happens next. Because her joy will soon turn to real confusion. This is what the Bible tells us happens. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, who can't what? Can't speak, right? But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 he is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. This is one of the moments where joy for Elizabeth quickly turns to a moment of confusion where people don't know something that Elizabeth knows. That Zachariah told Elizabeth, probably by writing on an iPad or something, right? or by saying to her, when he's born, when the baby is born, when the baby is born, you need to call him Zachariah. No, 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 no. Not my name. His name needs to be John. How do you think Zachariah told Elizabeth this? Think on the rocks, on the sand? I don't know. It'd be so cool if the Bible told us that. But we do know that Elizabeth knows. And everybody's really confused. They're confused because Elizabeth is about to break a tradition they all know so well. The tradition is that you name the child after the son. How many of you have a culture or know an example of this in your own culture? Anyone? Like if you, if you name a child that's not the son, it's like it's a big deal. Christmas is rough. Any of those moments? Like I remember when I was born... My, there's a story around when I was born, my, my parents had decided they were going to call me Peter. And if you don't believe me, like my mom's here is a story. And, and my grandfather in Italy found out that my name was going to be Peter. And the saying goes that he said, you guys can call him whatever you want, but I'm calling him Dominic. <laughs> so my name went from Peter to Dominic, changed very fast to I'm Dominic. <laughs> it's kind of a cultural thing that you're kind of like, that's nice, but you don't break the tradition. We know how this works. That Elizabeth is about to break the tradition, because she wants everybody to know that her son is about to do something that is bigger than just their family or the custom of their community. You know, during this time of year, it's the best time for you to think about the traditions that God is going to call you to break. Some of you will break the tradition next Sunday because you're going to be here at church. And people are going to be like, well, what do you mean? We usually... Christmas morning, like at our house, we do the gifts. You know, for the past, like, it's like the past two years, and in your head, it's like, you know, you're in the Old Testament. For two years, we've been doing this. Is that a tradition? 
And God's inviting you to say, hey, it's time for you to show your family that there's a bigger tradition that overrides your family tradition. It's shocking to me how many Christians are like, no, no, Christmas is family first. I'm like, really? Really? Elizabeth's like, there's a tradition we all know, but that's not the one we're following now. There's a new thing that's starting now. There's a new tradition that my baby boy is going to be named John. Because John was a reminder that God was going to be at work. And, and the next thing that happens, and you think about it, you read the story. I don't know if you ever saw this before, but this year it just came to the surface. Elizabeth probably wants to lose her mind. So I need, I need all the women in the room. If you're online, you can do this with me. I need you to practice something with me. You ready? Just some of you are asleep, but you can wake up. You got this? I got you? Okay. okay. I, need, I need you to practice saying with, with me, no, you didn't. Ready? Ready? Okay, you ready? Katia, you're good at this? Katia's good at this. She's ready. She's like, I'm ready. Women, one, two, three. Okay, that's so weak. People of the World Cup, they're yelling, painted in red. You can't be louder than that. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Okay, ready for this? That Elizabeth tells the people who are there, my son, he's not going to be called Zechariah. He's going to be called what? John. And this is what they do. They made sign to the father to find out what he would like the name of the child to be. And the women said? Can you imagine? Elizabeth is like, God has spoken to us. His name will be John. And the people are like, really? Let's listen to them. Let's hear what the man says. I know, okay. Just, I know you're trying to be all nice in church. But I know enough of you women to know that you'd be like, oh, take off this. Oh, my goodness. Put yourself on fire and start doing reviews of the church, right? Some of you. Janine is in the back. Amen. Amen. I love this church. Amen. Can you imagine Elizabeth? The feeling? Her disgrace might be gone, but the disrespect is still very high. That yet people in the story don't know that when Jesus comes, he's about to flip this all upside down as he picks women to be leaders with him in his ministry, as he sends women to the tomb to see him when he's resurrected. The voice of women, the voiceless, those who are waiting in justice has to do with women and children who are marginalized. They don't matter. And in that moment, we have no idea what happens. We have no idea what Elizabeth says. All we know is that she waits. And you almost see the camera turn to Zachariah, who can't speak. And Elizabeth feeling like just a shame come back. The disgrace come back. What do you mean? Like, God spoke to us. I'm the one who had the baby. What do you mean my voice doesn't matter? And probably, likely, Elizabeth was very respectful in the custom of the culture to maybe defer. Her husband will speak, see what he says. We can miss how people, maybe who don't have a voice, don't have their place, are still feeling the disrespect of maybe not being heard. Elizabeth's in the story. And Christmas is coming. Jesus is coming. The one who's coming, whose government is on his shoulders, is going to flip all this upside down. And people will be like, what do you mean Jesus is talking to a woman? Did you hear about Elizabeth? Did you hear about what he's doing? Did you hear about what he's like? Finally, we're told that Zechariah is back in the picture. And this is what happened. Zechariah asked for his iPad. <laughs> and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote... His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. I want to be honest. If I wasn't able to speak for nine months, I don't know if this is the first thing I'd say. 
I'd be probably complaining about something I saw in the house and oh, how come you didn't do that or how come... And the Bible tells us that the first time Zachariah could speak, not only does he affirm that Elizabeth was right, Elizabeth's voice mattered. She heard correctly, we heard correctly. Not only does he affirm her, and I'm, I'm not sure if, if Elizabeth's like, I told you so. I would have I had a told you so moment. Like, I, why, you couldn't listen to me? I don't matter to you? I'm good at this, huh? Maybe, maybe I see a lot of it in my home. Okay. <laughs> Some of you are not sure, like, how can we laugh in this church? It's very weird. Okay, that the Bible tells us that if you read the story, Zechariah is going to do two very important things. And I'm going to encourage you to read it because we don't have time and I want to wrap up. Zechariah is going to think and remember of God's faithfulness to the people of God. Actually, if you have your Bible, you have like four or five verses about Zechariah thinking back and four or five verses Zechariah thinking about the future. His praise is remembering God's faithfulness and preparing for the future of what God's about to do now. And if you have a Bible, you might want to look at this. In the Bible, it says Zachariah's song. That's how the Bible frames this. I, I, I was, was reading this this week, and I was looking up the, the meaning of that and what it means. That This is like a special kind of, maybe not only prayer, but a song that was sung by Zachariah, right? And I thought about how few men I know that sing. I thought about, like, I don't think I've ever heard my dad sing. Very few men in church like to sing. And that there's something beautiful that at Christmas, this old man is starting to sing. He's starting to sing songs of God's faithfulness. For nine months, his voice probably is a bit scratchy because he didn't do the lemon test. You know, like the lemon thing if you're singing. But, but he's starting to sing. And I don't know how you picture this in your mind. I see Elizabeth to the side starting to cry. Elizabeth being like, this is it. The waiting is over now. Waiting is over. God has answered our prayers. And Zechariah starts to celebrate and to sing and to, to kind of like call people to start to prepare because in a few months, Jesus is coming. And at one point in his singing, this is what Zechariah says. It's so beautiful. He says this, And you, my child, maybe he picks John up and he holds him up. You, my child, you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come up to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. And that beautiful last part. And to guide our feet into paths of peace. Remember I told you about the prophets at the beginning, of people who are waiting for God? It's justice. They're waiting for God to respond. They're waiting. John is the first one. He's going to go ahead. He's going to start to go ahead and he's going to say, no more waiting now. That Zacharias says, John, this is what you're going to do for us. I'm not sure how God is going to stir in you this year a commitment to be someone who cares about salvation and forgiveness. I know this time of year, I think about like our kids, and maybe you know some of the kids that are preparing for some exams. And if you want to test somebody's knowledge for anything, what do you do? You give them a what? You give them a test. You give them a test to see if they really understand what this is about. What does it mean that John is going to help his people and help us understand the knowledge that the one who comes is coming for our salvation? I'm going to invite the band to come up, and I want to just tell you about another tradition that Elizabeth and Zechariah and now John are about to break and maybe introduce, because one of the things that John will do to see if people are ready and if they have the knowledge of what it means to say yes to Jesus is he's going to invite them to be baptized. This is one of the new things that John's going to say. 
The Bible says that when John comes, he's actually going to move out of his village and going to go live in the wilderness. And from that place, he's going to tell people, come, come, if you're ready to prepare, if you're willing to welcome what God's going to do, come, come, I'm going to baptize you in water. It's going to be great. It's going to be the great sign that we are ready for what God is going to do. Some of you have been baptized. Some of you remember your baptism. You remember how special it was to say, I want to be one who's always ready and prepared for the ways of God in my life. And some of you are just not there yet. Some of you are still struggling with, you know, what kind of traditions do I need to break? What kind of things do I need to prepare for and welcome God's ways in new ways? And what kind of things like I'm kind of stuck in this old way and I want to keep doing my own thing and Advent God's saying, no, 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 no. It's time for you to come now and be ready for something new to start. For you to welcome that God invites us to say, I need you to prepare yourself. And I need you to understand that many people who heard John speak ignored John the Baptist. They ignored John the Baptist because their feet were not committed to the ways of peace of God. Their feet were not committed to the, to the injustice and the pain in their world. Their feet were not committed to any of that, to all of the things that Jesus will come to talk about. I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to tell you one last thing. We're going to sing one last song together. But I want to tell you something so important that makes sense maybe more than ever during Advent. That one day Jesus is going to talk about his kingdom. He's going to talk about what it means to follow him in his way. And at the end of the parable, he gives this parable about his kingdom. He says the most profound thing. You'll see it on the screen. It's the most beautiful thing. You can go to the slide. Just go to the last slide. He says that the last will be first and the first will be last. This is what his kingdom is like. Which one are you going to be? Are you going to be someone that because you were faithful and set yourself and your agenda aside that God will say, come, come now. You understand what this kingdom is about. Or are we going to be those who just continue to think that this is just about us being first and our agenda and what we want and miss the fact that the baby in a manger whose government is on his shoulders is coming to flip the world upside down so that those who've been waiting will no longer wait now. Those who felt ignored will no longer be ignored now. That if you love him, you'll love a kingdom where the last will be first and the first will be last. This is hard to hear, but this is Christmas with Elizabeth and Zachariah and John crying like a baby who gets circumcised. <laughs> it doesn't sound like silent at all. Right, but we're invited to be those who welcome this new kingdom because we are those who understand that John says those who prepared came to be baptized to welcome this child. Let's sing the song before we close.
thinking about a lot of different memories and traditions in my home. When I was young, I grew up here in Montreal, and so I, just like many people, have some memories of what Christmas was like. And this week, as I thought about the traditions in my home growing up, I realized that none of those traditions helped me love God more. None of them were intentionally shaped to help me love Jesus more. They were just family times. Hang out. All good things, by the way. But those who care about the Bible know that God is inviting us to shape some traditions that move us closer to the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. Many of us need to get more serious than ever than looking at our schedules and our habits and our plans and saying, this is what we're going to do here. We've never done it this way, but we're going to do it this way now. His name has always been Zachariah, but it's going to be John. We've never done that, but now it's going to be this way because we want practices and habits that are not rituals that we just do, but that they're things that form us with an intentional sense that Jesus is helping us be ready for what he's doing in us. And if people didn't like this, they would have hated John saying, it's time now to get baptized. They would have been like, I'm not into that. John says, I know nobody is. But if you want to prepare for the kingdom that Jesus brings, you must be baptized now. Maybe for some of you, that's what the next year holds as well. Maybe for some of you, 2023 is the year you finally get baptized. You finally get serious about this story or you get serious enough to just move on and worship something else with your life. But don't waste your time. Jesus is calling each of us to see Zachariah and Elizabeth and to say, I kept my promise with them. Watch now how I keep my promise with Mary and Joseph. Next week, We'll look at that together. But let's just pray before we go. Father, in this uh, quiet moment, we think of the noise of our world, the noise that quickly awaits to distract us and to make us think that we do not have to be those who get serious about your ways. Would you forgive us Would you give us a fresh knowledge of the salvation that had to come to deal with the sin and the brokenness of our world? That brokenness that is in us as well. That makes us think that you exist for us. That we shouldn't have to wait. That we can take advantage of others. 
and that we forget that your kingdom is not of this world. Father, this week I pray that you would help us to maybe consider some new traditions, new practices, new things that we might have to do to refocus our hearts on you. May you help us courageously to decide that we're going to be here together to worship on Sunday. Because you, Jesus, are the center of why we are here. And that everything else is secondary to our worship of you and your ways. I pray that you would bless those in this room. Bless their faithfulness as they continue to give and to serve and to commit. I pray for those online who still are not able to join us, that you would continue to bless them. And that you would help us even as we think of year end, how we can contribute in fresh ways to your work and to your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everyone, we, uh, we love you, and we look forward to seeing you soon. There's a, a letter that you can pick up, just a Merry Christmas letter. If you'd like to give, you can do that this morning. If you want to talk, we're here as well. But look forward to seeing you in a few days, and God bless everyone. See you soon.